Welcome to Trinity Presbyterian Church Owasso Sermon Podcast. Grace changes everything. It is hard to pick a text uh, and preach to a group of people that you know you won't see next week. Um, I want to assure you that this section of Romans 9, 10, and 11, it ends with this beautiful doxology. As he wrestles through this, it ends with this beautiful doxology, the the depth, the riches, the wisdom, and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways, for who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him, that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Paul's conversion had him marked by his people as a race traitor, as a heretic, as a cultist. He had enemies of his own people, his own family, and those he had grown up with. What he lost was very significant. He didn't just get kicked off the team or lose his job. He lost his people. He lost his very identity as a Pharisee. He lost what he had worked so hard to attain uh, vocationally, spiritually, relationally. He lost all of those things, and yet he loved those people. So if you take one thing from this this morning... I want you to grab, grapple with that, that the sense of Paul's heart to his people. It is an amazing thing. His relationship with those who would persecute him. So in your outline, I have it as, as Paul's heart, verses 1 to 3. This is Paul's heart. The first thing we see in verse 1 is that it is sincere. Uh, Verse 1, I am speaking the truth. What apropos words for us. Not I am speaking a truth. I'm speaking my truth. I am speaking the truth. Brothers and sisters, if you love a person, it's incumbent upon you to speak the truth. Not tell them what they want to hear. Not prop up their egos or their esteem or or any false identity that they have. You are to, in love, speak the truth. God has given it to us, to his people. He's entrusted it to us. We've done a study in our church on the temple. What an amazing thing that that the, the, the Levites were given swords to guard the word. It is the truth. So the apostle is not even saying it apologetically. I'm sorry, but this is the truth. No, I am speaking the truth. I will speak to you the truth, even if it means the one I love will hate me. Even if it means uh, the person believing a lie will caricature me. The apostle says this whole section, I'm speaking the truth. Secondly, he says, I'm not lying. There's no deception. There's no partial truth that I'm dispensing. It's not scriptures taken out of context to promote a view that I really, really want to be true. 
I am not lying or deceiving in any way. And thirdly, he says, my conscience, it bears witness in the Holy Spirit. Not just the feelings of following my heart, but the Holy Spirit who indwells in me is confirming this indeed is the truth of God's Word. So we see in his heart that he is sincere. He is, secondly, he is sorrowful. Verse 2, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. It is right for you, O Christian, to feel this in our world. I think it is something that is sorely lacking. As I said, these first three verses convicted me personally. Uh, I, I see wrongdoing. I see wrong thinking. I, I, I see false truths being promoted. And I am not first sorrowful. First angry. I'm at first feeling uh, morally superior or intellectually superior. But Paul is saying, My heart breaks for you. And Christian, shame on us when we make fun of those who disagree with us. When we laugh on social media and we promote things. We must lead with a sorrowful heart. I've read over your, um, I've read your journals for the last seven years. They're called minutes, session minutes. And uh, I'm on the Presbytery Committee that oversees uh, reading of minutes. You've had a hard couple of years. You've gone through a lot of hard things. Um, These all stay in confidence, I want you to know, but it is a way of the church checking and balancing each other, making sure a session uh, is not committing gross sin against the pastor or against the congregation. Uh, it It is a way of showing care and shepherding. And I happen to draw Trinity. So I read seven years of your session minutes. Life's hard. Life's hard in the church, and there's pain and there's sorrow. And I can tell you one thing that I loved is the way your session has dealt with brokenness, with fallenness, with sinfulness, with vow-breaking, lying and cheating, and taking advantage of. God's really blessed Trinity Owasso with some godly men who have this heart of the apostle. It's not just for them, though. It is for all of us. I have great sorrow, unceasing anguish. Our world, our neighbors, they are suffering. Many times our message gets lost because the way we communicate immediately breaks down any chance of being heard. And it is easy. I know it is easy for me to laugh and make fun of the seemingly growingly list of triggers of things I can't say or do or wear. But we must be sorrowful, sincere. This is what Jesus is like in Luke 13, right? He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you are the city that kills the prophets. 
He's talking about the city that kills his prophets, the one he has sent to rescue them from hell. And they kill him. And what does he say? I can't wait to wipe you out. No. Oh, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Paul's heart is also serious in verse 3. You see, the truth is so important for them that it would be unloving and unkind if he withheld it. It would be a hateful thing to allow a people to go unchecked, to live and exist under lies and false pretenses. And so he is serious. In verse 3, this is an amazing statement he says here. I wish, I, he said, I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. One writer has called this Paul's spark from the fire of Christ's substitutionary love. Luther writes on this verse, it seems incredible that a man would desire to be damned in order that the damned might be saved. That's Paul showing how the gospel has affected his heart. He realizes, I am only an apostle if, if I was left on my own. If Jesus himself had not intercepted me, I would have continued to kill the prophets and destroy families and do everything I can to undermine the work of Christ. But I am what I am because God's grace poured out upon me. Oh, if I could do the same. If I could. That's how serious it is to him. And we know it's serious because he suffered. We know it's serious for the disciples because they were beaten and they were told, if you continue, you'll be beaten again. And what did they say to the rulers? They say, well, choose between you and God. But for us, we, we, can't, we can't not obey the Lord and the calling. And so whenever we share the gospel, brothers and sisters, we must answer objections, but we must do so with this type of heart, this lost soul that I'm reaching out is not a prize for me to win. This lost soul is my kin. It is my people. We are of the same flesh as I did nothing to earn my place. The Lord Jesus did it all, so I offer this same gospel to others. And so he sets that up with his people. And then he answers this charge. There'll be several charges throughout this section. Uh, but today we'll just look at this one charge. And the charge is in verse 6. It says... But it's not as though the word of God has failed. So we've already mentioned that. Um, and, and so here's what happens. You get to the end of chapter 8, right? And it's that beautiful from 31 to 39 where he lists two different times, five different things. And he says, none of these things will separate us from the love of God. Shall death, shall tribulation, shall sword, shall hardship. No. Nothing will separate us from the love of God. Even though we are slaughtered all the day long, we are more than conquerors. And then he says, for I am convinced. A beautiful thing. And Christian, you should be convinced. And so he makes this promise. And then immediately, here's the charge. Wait, didn't, didn't God take Abraham out? Didn't God take Abraham out and show him the stars? 
and say, hey, Abraham, can you count the stars? So shall your offspring be. Abraham, can you count the sand on the seashore? So shall your offspring be. What about the promises? What about the promises? If again, Paul, your gospel is true, then God's promises to us have failed. That's the charge. But he says it's not as though the word of God has failed. And so he lists these historical markers. There's at least eight that he lists in verses 5 and 6. He says, wait a minute, here's what you had. All right, now I want you to think about this. Uh, This is what these people had uh, as an ethnicity, as a nation, as a people. This is what these people had. He says, yours was the adoption. Right? The Old Testament says this clearly, simply. Israel, I chose you from among the nations that you would be my treasured possession. I chose you not because you were smart, not because you were faithful, because you, you have a terrible heart. You are stiff-necked and unbending and unyielding. I didn't choose you because you're great military strength. What did he tell Gideon? Keep cutting your men back. Keep cutting your men back because I don't want to make, I don't want anyone to ever think it was because your superior numbers you won this battle. You won this battle because I'm with you. Israel, you had the adoption. Israel, you had the glory, he says, secondly. What people had God dwelt with on the earth where the glory came down and it was a visible thing? It was a cloud in the day. It was a fire at night. It was an all-consuming fire and a cloud. And Moses said, keep the people from, God said, Moses, keep the people from coming in here. They can't come in here unless they strike out against them. They saw it. They heard the thumbling and the, run, the, 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 the mountain shaking. You had the glory. You had Solomon's temple and the glory of the Lord came in, pushed everything out. This is what you had. You had the covenants all throughout the Old Testament. In Genesis 1 to 3 or 15, and the smoking fire pot, R.C. Sproul said on that day in, in Genesis 15 where it says, on that day God cut a covenant. He said that's the most amazing verse in all of Scripture. On that day God cut a covenant. This is what you had, Israel. You had the covenants. You had the giving of the law written in stone by the finger of God, not mediated by any prophet or any priest, the very word of God written by the very finger of God in these stone tablets. You had that, Israel. You had the worship. You had a whole Levitical system of how uh, immediately after the law is given you, how how are you going to be made right when you break this law? I will give you a system, and that system will point to my son. You had the promises. You had the patriarchs. And then he closes by saying, and you had the Christ according to the flesh. So it, it wasn't Jews were asking you to follow a Gentile or a Roman or Samaritan. You know, I mean, they had the smallest jump, really, of any people group. Everything should have made sense. And what's he saying? All that wasn't enough all those things were not enough 
to save you from my wrath. In the gospel, he has the parable of the, the tenants right before the crucifixion. The parable of the tenants, he sends and sends and sends his servants, and he finally says, I'll send my son, and they take the son and they kill him. All these things were not enough to save them. Your notes, I put the New Testament objections. We, we have the Pharisees and the Jews in the New Testament making these same claims. In Luke 3, Jesus says, uh, John the Baptist says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. And then in, in John 8, Jesus argues that Abraham is not their father because of their hard hearts. He said, if Abraham was your father, you would have believed me. But he goes on further to say, no, 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 your father is the devil. He was a deceiver and he was a liar. So here's the big pronouncement. Here's the answer. Oh, Israel, you took God's covenant and his promises out of their context. You took God's covenant out of its context. Verse 6, it's not as though it has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And so the apostle takes two examples of this in the Old Testament. Right? So it, it, it's not a, some, some sense, this is a New Testament. This is God's plan B. This is a different way. The apostle takes back and says, no, no, it has always been this way. He says, they're not the children of Abraham because there is offspring. But verse 7, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it's not the children of the flesh or the children of God, but the children of promise who are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise says. About this time next year, I will return and Sarah will have a son. What's he saying? Abraham had two sons, didn't he? And one was the son of the flesh. One was the son of, we are going to work it out our way. God is too slow. We can't wait for him. I'm too old. And Ishmael was born. Ishmael was the seed of Abraham. But he was not the child of a promise. Through Isaac... Right? So you could look at that and you could say, yeah, well, you know, Ishmael was, yeah, he was through Hagar. That was an unlawful union. That makes sense. We're all children of Isaac. And what does he do after that? He says, but wait, remember Rebecca. Isaac's wife was pregnant. Isaac's wife was pregnant with twins. And before the twins were born, how clear is this? Before the twins were born, Isaac was told, the younger will rule over the older. He puts it out here. The older will serve the younger as it is written. Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. His answer is that there is and always has been two Israels. The one in the flesh and the one of the promise. Paul happened to be both an Israel of the flesh and in Israel of the promise. I think I put in your notes this quote from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says, here is the explanation 
of why eventually they found themselves in the captivity of Babylon. It was all due to the fact that they kept on assuming that because they were children of Israel, nothing could go wrong with them and that God must always bless them so that when he did not, they could not understand it. And they suggest that God was going back on his promises. It was all because they did not realize that they are not Israel, which are of Israel. You get to the end of Romans chapter 8, and you ask yourself, am I convinced? Am I convinced of the gospel in such a manner that I know there is nothing that will separate me from God? When you get through verse 13 of chapter 9, you ask yourself this question. Am I a child of the flesh? Or am I a child of the promise? Certainly Israel had all of these markers that it would make sense for them to assume, yes, indeed, everything about our appearance and what we eat. We're God's special people. But what about you? Maybe for us, the, the, the statements would be, are, are all Americans Christians? Well, no, of course not. Does God owe America his favor? Are we his nation now? No. Are all children and grandchildren of Christians, or are they automatically saved? No. God doesn't have grandchildren. He only has adopted children. Or all who call themselves Christians. Christians. No. Are all baptized people. Christians. No. Are all church members. Christians. No. You see, it is possible for us to mistake the signs for the real thing. And it's possible for us to exist in a fleshly relationship with the Lord. And, and it, you'll become aware of this when you go through hardship. You'll become aware of this when things just don't pan out the way you should, and it seems to work better for those who don't know the Lord. That's when the Holy Spirit will prick your conscience and say, are you a child of the flesh? Because you've given, you've attended, you've not done this, or you've Repent, or are you a child of the promise? Are all who call upon the name of the Lord, are all who repent of their sins and surrender themselves to Jesus Christ, are they all the true Israel? Absolutely. Let's pray.